This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, a bit of a twist, since all the action will center on Candy Matson, a female private investigator with a wry sense of humor and a penthouse on Telegraph Hill in San Francisco. The program was notable for having a striking female character without a trace of squeamishness, as well as a veiled gay character in Candy's best friend, Rembrandt Watson, voiced by Jack Thomas. Candy's love interest was police detective Ray Millard, voiced by Henry Leff. In addition to the show being set in San Francisco, it was produced at San Francisco Radio City. And here's the episode entitled Devil in Deep Freeze. Hello, Yukon 28209. Yes, this is Candy Matson. Got an old corpse kicking around you want identified? Know of any good murders you want solved? We've got just the girl for you. Her name is Candy Matson. Mighty cute, too. She fills out a size 12 suit to just the right proportions. Soft blonde hair, two sparkling blue eyes, and all in all, she looks as though she might have stepped right off a Varga calendar. And what's more, she's a private eye. You scoff? You ridicule? I'll let you see for yourselves. Listen. She's talking on the phone right now. Hello, Candy Matson. Hello, Miss Matson. I'm afraid you don't know me. That makes it even. You don't know me. Let's go from there. I've read about you in the papers, Miss Matson. You handle confidential cases. That's right. However, there's a little matter of a fee involved. Yes, yes, I know. I can pay. That's item number one. Now to item number two. What's the confidential case? I come possibly tell you on the phone, Miss Watson. I said it was confidential. Mm, okay. Where do you want to talk? I am the proprietor of a restaurant, the Charlemagne in North Beach. Oh, yeah. I ate there once. Oh, that's nice. No, it wasn't. I didn't like the food. Oh. However, I'll overlook it. Do you want to talk in about an hour? That will be fine, Miss Matson. Good. And your name would be... Martinello. Carlo Martinello. Okay, Mr. Martinello. And uh, have some ink in your pen. It costs money just to talk. I probably sounded rough and commercial, but you have to be in this racket. Most people look in a private eye as a musician. They invite you to a party and expect you to bring your harp for free. But uh-uh, I learned the hard way a long time ago. So now they pay in advance and take their chances later. That's the way it was with this Martinello. I was at home in my penthouse on Telegraph Hill, out on the porch taking a sun bath, when the phone rings and it's this Carlo character. That part was all right, because I can always use new customers. 
But what made me mad was the fact that I had to stop listening to the 49ers belt the bejabers out of the Cleveland Browns at Kizar Stadium. But I followed through and uncovered a couple of very done-in bodies along the way. Do you like the grotesque in your whodunit? Then follow me and we'll tiptoe lightly through the tibbets, the ponds, and the baccalonies. Because part of the story unfolds at the opera house. Reluctantly, I dressed into something Charlemagne-ish, turned off the 49ers Cleveland game, and went down to talk to Martinello. His place was typical, located on Powell Street, a garish neon sign, and as you walked in, the air- place was air-conditioned by eau de garlic. Yes, miss. You wish a table? I wish a table, yes. With the right party, I'm looking for the owner. I am the owner. I am Candy Matson. Oh, Miss Matson. Walk this way, please. If I could walk that way, I'd revive Vaudeville. Pardon? Uh, where is your office? Right over here. Allow me. After you, Signorina. Thank you, Signor. Here, sit down, please. Thanks. Now, Martinello, what's on your mind? Always, all my life, I have run a very nice, respectable place. Mm-hmm. Until this morning. What's with this morning? I go down to the basement. My icebox is down there. That is where I keep all my meat. So, you wanted some ground round? Oh, no, no. Perhaps I'd better show you. Please, you will come with me. Martinello led the way out of his office and down a flight of stairs. A cold blast hit my face. A musty aroma smothered my nostrils, and if I had had a phobia about darkness, I'd have ducked out then. But I followed the guy, and we ended up in front of a refrigerator about the size of an inquisition chamber. He opened the door, and it was the usual restaurant icebox, choice legs of lamb hanging from hooks, potential fillets, and thick New York cuts. The box was cold, and I started to shiver. Not from the refrigeration, though, because over in the corner was a man. He looked like something out of a long-lost Arctic expedition. He had a long, flowing mustache, every bristle of which was coated with ice. He was quite frozen and quite dead. I slammed the door shut and reeled out. The sight had staggered my thought processes. Martinello reached over by a salami slicing table and turned on a Mazda, a weak affair that cast dim shadows about the damp basement. Is that your little surprise? Yes, Mr. Matson. That is what I was greeted with this morning. Have you notified the police? Oh, no, no, no. Why not? As I told you, I have run a very respectable place. And, too, that is why I am hiring you. You can get in trouble, you know. Yes, yes, that is why you must help me. Please, please, Miss Madsen, say you will help me. I will pay you anything you say. <sighs> I stick my neck out in the strangest places. Now it's a refrigerator. Okay, Martinello, $2,000. What? Make up your mind. Either I freeze your assets or the police find your frozen friend. Yes. All right. Come. I give you the money now. Now we're getting somewhere. What about him? Oh, he'll keep. He's on ice. Well, this was one for the book. Refrigeration the Ugly Way. I had to ask a few questions if I was to get anywhere, such as like, do you know the guy? No. Had you ever seen him before? No. Who was the last one to close the icebox last night? I was. 
Does it lock from the inside? Unfortunately, yes. I was getting places like Wiley was with Hauser. It was inevitable. I had to take my courage in my hand and go down and look at that thing again. There it was, a male Mona Lisa etched in ice. This time I looked closer, I had to. And as I did, I realized I wasn't going to get any identification because this guy was a study in crimson. Underneath all that coating of ice, he was dressed in a devil's costume. I slammed the door once again and went upstairs. There I gave Martinello strict orders not to do a thing. Usually in cases like this, you have to wait for a break. They come along like a forcing hand in poker. So I went home to do some thinking. As I arrived, there was an old friend of mine, Rembrandt Watson. Hello, Dove. I'd almost given up. Rembrandt, how did you get in? Your door was open, dear. I took the liberty of coming in. Oh, sure, that's okay. How are things, Candy? All right, I guess. I'm kind of bush, though. I feel about as devaluated as a British pound. You look wonderful, Dove. What's wrong? I've got a deal, but I don't know where to start. Anything I can help you with? No, thanks, Rembrandt. If I told you about it, you wouldn't believe it. I've never doubted you in the past, dear. I know. Well, I was just called in by a minestrone merchant in North Beach. The guy is stuck with a corpse. That's about par for the corpse. The deceased had been sealed in the icebox overnight. I've never seen one like that before. That's the way it is, dear. Many are called, but few are frozen. Oh, get out of here. But, Dove, I just got here. I know, but I've got to change and get down to see Mallard. I'll wait for you, Candy. I haven't seen the gumshoe since before me vacation. All right. I'll be with you in a few moments. I did a fast change, and Rembrandt and I climbed into my car, and we dropped off Telegraph Hill on Don Kearney Street. The Hall of Justice, where Mallard hangs his star, is only a few blocks away, so we made it in about five minutes. Inspector Ray Mallard. Homicide, San Francisco police. A lovable, shaggy dog type of character. Very keen with the crime, but dumb with the dame. Me, for instance. If I want him to say yes, he says no, and vice versa. Well, my ever-loving candy. What's new in the private eye business? Very little. How's the legitimate fatfoot record? Oh, we're holding our arches up. Well, and Rembrandt, I haven't seen you since Pup was a Hector. Please, Inspector, you're metting your mixophores. Who writes this dialogue? I'm pretty weak, I know. What's on your mind, Candy? A character named Carlo Martinello. Have you got anything on him? <laughs> What's so funny, Mallory? Nothing, except I eat lunch there about every day of the week. Well, answer my question. There's nothing on Martinello. Arrested a couple of times during Prohibition. He was dabbling in grappa a lot under the table. Have you got a case against the guy, Detective Matson? Oh, cut it out. No, seriously. Why do you want to check on the guy, Candy? No reason. Just thought I'd ask. Uh-huh. Well, Martinello's okay. Just trying to make a living. Only thing I don't like, he loves to sing to his customers. <laughs> That'd be enough to bankrupt him right there. Anything else I can do? No, that takes care of everything. I tell you what, I'm through in about an hour. I'll take you up to Martinello's for dinner. You can see for yourself. No, 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 that, that, that's all right. Okay, Candy, give Why, Mallard, dear, what on earth do you mean? You know something about something. I want in. Mallard, and I want you to believe this. I mean it sincerely. If I knew something, you'd be the last to know about it. He's got something there. Come, now, believe us a while. I hate to do things like that to Mallard. He's been of great help to me in the past. More than once, he's saved my life. 
But on a deal like this, you have to play it close. After all, a girl has to make a living. For the first time in a long time, I was completely baffled as to where to start. Something had to be done about that cadaver in the icebox, but what? While I was beetling my eyebrows, Rembrandt invited me up to his place for tea. He lives on California Street, just down away from old St. Mary's and only a bail bond broker's reach from the Hall of Justice. So I accepted. Do forgive the looks of the place, Candy, dear. I had a meeting my philatelist group last night. Philatelist? The stamp collectors, dear. Well, I know what they are, but I didn't think they could make such a mess. You don't know philatelists. <laughs> Sit down, though. Make yourself comfortable. I shan't be a moment. That's all right. Candy, dear, why the wrinkles? I've got cause for wrinkles. This chap in the icebox, Rembrandt. There's something I didn't tell you. He was dressed in a devil's costume. There, there, dear. Your tea will ready in just a minute. You'll feel better. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. What are you going to do, Candy? I don't know. I can't leave him in that refrigerator forever. Well, get him out, dear. I hate to think of a corpse catching pneumonia. Oh, excuse me, Candy. Help yourself to the tea. Mm -hmm. How do you do? Rembrandt Watson Enterprises. Oh, oh, hello, Templeton. How are all your steamships? Oh, that's good. What? Could I use to what? To the opera? Of course I could. Why do I'll pick them up at your office. Thank you, Templeton. Goodbye. Candy, dear, do you like the opera? I can take it or leave it. Why? It suddenly develops that I have two tickets tomorrow night for Tales of Hoffman. Oh, Rembrandt, I don't think I come, can... Come, come. Candy, it'll do you good. You've been working too hard. You need a little relaxation. Tales of Hoffman, hmm? Okay. Who's the pal who gave them to you? An old friend of mine, Templeton Woodruff. He runs a steamship to Java and other places Ezio Pinza sings about. I finished the tea and left. Right then, the only opera I could think of was the one going on in an icebox at Martinello's. I've always tried to play straight with Ray Mallard, so I decided to tell Martinello my plan. Miss Mudson, I don't think it's such a good idea. Good evening, to... Carlo. I want to talk to you. That's what I mean. There's a gentleman here who... Well, you've got a gentleman. That's fine. Three more and you've got a crowd. What I want to talk to you about is this. You don't understand. The gentleman I'm talking about is from the police. The police? Yeah. Hello, Candy. Mallard. How about some scallopini? Well, up jumps it. Hello, Mallard, dear. I had an idea you'd like dinner here tonight. Uh, do you know my boy, Carlo? Yes, yes, we've met. How do you do? How do you do? The signorina wish something to eat? No. No, thanks. I want to talk to you, though, Mallard. Sure. Come on into my booth. We'll share some salami. No, no, thanks. I want to see you downstairs. I don't think the food is good down there. I agree, but it isn't the food. I'm talking about murder. <laughs> Once again, I headed down into the catacombs of the Charlemagne. This time, the act was a double. Mallard was right behind me. Then I looked around. We were a trio. Martinello was right behind Mallard. This is it. This is what? This is an icebox. Inside, you will find a body dressed in a devil's costume. Okay, Carlo, let's humor the lady. Open the thing, will you? I... Yes. I'll open it. Lovely view of the beef. It's gone. The body's gone. Okay, Martinello, start talking and make some sense while you're doing it. Please, Miss Matson. 
I don't know anything. I haven't been down here all day. Get rid of those arched eyebrows, Martinelli. You know something. What is it? Wait a minute, Candy. I'll do the questioning. In the first place, Carlo, was there or was there not a body in here? I... Well, sure there was. He can't deny it. Here's a check for $2,000 signed by Martinello himself. Well, Carlo? Yes. There was a body, all right. Who was it? Friend of yours? No, Inspector. I never saw him before. Why did you call Miss Matson? Why didn't you come to see me about it? Well, you know, Inspector, the police... Uh, just because you were once arrested for bootlegging, Carlo, is no reason to be afraid of the police... Yeah, well, I'll put a couple of my men on the job and see what we can turn up. What? Is that all you're going to do, Mallard? No. Right now, I'm going back upstairs and have some of Carlo's scallopini. Mallard, are you out of your head? Look, Candy, in order to have a murder case, you've got to have a body. Obviously, we're fresh out. And until your pal with the devil's costume turns up, I intend to live my typical everyday life. Don't forget the mushrooms, Carlo. There are times when I get so mad at Mallard I want to scream. I didn't, though. I only scrammed. I hung on to the 2,000, however. I felt I deserved it just for getting my curiosity aroused, and it was aroused plenty. Corpses don't get up and walk out of ice boxes by themselves. But after all, Mallard had a point. There was nothing to be done without a body. So I went home and waded into a stack of dirty dishes that had been piling up. Then I fixed dinner and started a new stack of dirty dishes. Got a book and ducked into bed. In the morning, I had an idea. After breakfast, I went down to the corner of Broadway and Columbus. That's where North Beach does a neat blend with Chinatown. On the corner was a Joe who sold newspapers. I'd known him for some time, and he seemed to like me. Hiya, Butch. Well, hello there, lady. How are you? Good. Can't complain. Who won the football game yesterday? Yeah, funny thing. I got all the news right inside here for seven cents. I get your point. Give me a chronicle, will you? Sure. Here. Thanks. Who do you like in the feature at Bay Meadows? A goat named Candy. What? What did you say? There's a pig named Candy running in the seventh. Take it or leave it. What a tip. I don't get it. Well, what's really on your mind, lady? Here. Here's a 20. You can play it on Candy all for yourself. Well... Do you know a gent named Martinello Butch? Mm. He owns the Charlemagne down the block. Sure. What about him? That's what I'm asking you. What about him? Oh, he's all right. A little screwy, but he keeps his nose clean. Is that all? Yeah. Should there be more? I don't know. Thanks, Butch. I hope Candy pays off. I was getting nowhere, that was for sure. And the rest of the day went the same way. Dead ends, blind alleys. I checked as many loose ends as I possibly could, but I was still stuck in a quandary. But the crusher claimed late in the afternoon when I got a copy of the late paper and read where Candy came in at Bay Meadows and paid thirty-two twenty, And I hadn't had sense enough to get aboard. When I got home, the phone was ringing. Hello, Candy Matson. Oh, you're Candy Matson. I should play a fanfare. Oh, hello, Rembrandt, dear. How are you? Like an October morning. Every single one of the pores is breathing great, huge gulps of air. What? I just had a facial dove. Most invigorating. Uh, what on earth for? I loved your old pores just the way they were. Candy, you've forgotten. I have? Forgotten what, Rembrandt? We're going to the opera tonight. Oh, Ducky, I'm sorry. I had forgotten. I'm afraid I'll have to renege. Now, Candy, you promised. And I don't care what you're involved in. It'll do 
But Rembrandt, I'm working on it. Perhaps you're right. Okay, I'll get ready. Wonderful, dear. Pick me up about a quarter of eight, will you? Pick you up a quarter of eight, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and another thing, Lamb. We may have to do some entertaining afterward. Uh, do bring some cash, will you? Mm-hmm. That's the girl. <laughs> That Rembrandt, always stony broke. I guess photography isn't what it's cracked up to be. I didn't mind, though. He's been a friend to me on more than one occasion. Well, if I was going to the opera, I had to start thinking in operatic terms. I fished around in the closet and came up with something that would have done any woman's heart good. One of those strapless affairs that you can't stop breathing in for one moment, otherwise the opera is no longer the main attraction. I powdered perfume, pouted and rouge, and took off after Rembrandt. But just as I started to leave... Just a moment. Well, get a load of the Duchess. Mm-hmm. It won't be Halloween for another couple of weeks yet. Oh, very funny. Come on in, Millard. What are you decked out for, Candy? Something you wouldn't understand. I'm going to the opera. Oh, I love the opera. Any horse opera with Tex Acuff in it. That's what I thought. What's on your mind, Mallard? I've got to pick up Rembrandt in ten minutes. Well, I was just driving by, so I thought I'd stop and tell you the news. News? About what? We found El Diablo. The guy in the icebox? Yeah. Martinello identified him. He was floating in the water off Aquatic Park. Any lead on him? The best. He was Salavini, the second baritone with the opera company. That's all, Candy. I hope you enjoy the performance tonight. <laughs> A baritone with the opera company. Well, that explained the costume, but it didn't explain a lot of other things. I walked down the stairs with Mallard. He got in his squad car, flicked on the flashing red light, and with a burst of his siren, rolled down the street. I'd have to speak to Mallard about that. All the neighbors had their heads out of their windows as I climbed into my car and followed. What an exit. I picked up Rembrandt, and we drove up to the Civic Center. I found a place to park. A minor miracle. The last time I went to the opera, I had to drive almost to Palo Alto and come back by train. Rembrandt's friend must have been very influential. We had seats in the Diamond Horseshoe. They were presenting tales of Hoffman, and a friend of mine, Dorothy Warrenchold, was singing the role of Antonia. It was a fine performance, and after the last curtain, I took Rembrandt, and we went backstage to see Dorothy. This is her dressing room, Rembrandt. Hello, Dorothy. This is Candy Matson. I have a friend with me. Oh, do come in, please, Candy. Candy, how are you? Couldn't be better. Dorothy, may I present Mr. Watson? Rembrandt, this is Miss Warrenchold. I'm delighted. You're in magnificent voice tonight, dear, dear. Thank you. Sit down, won't you? I've only a moment for rehearsing some of the scenes in Faust tonight. Rehearsing after a full evening's performance? It has to be done, Candy. Our baritone disappeared. We've had to replace him with a new man. Yes, yes, I know. By the way, Dorothy, I heard you on your Standard Hour broadcast a few weeks ago. It was a wonderful performance. I'm glad you liked it, Candy. I always look forward to those. What are your plans, Dorothy? Well, the season closes here, and then we open in Los Angeles. Oh, yes, of course. Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Come in. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you had guests. That's all right. Oh, Candy, I'd like to introduce Rolf Herberts. This is Miss Matson and Mr. Watson. Nice to know you. Mr. Herbert is our new baritone. Oh, yes. That's why we're rehearsing tonight. I uh, won't take any more of your time, Dorothy. I just thought we'd save a few moments of rehearsal if I told you that I don't uh, move in that last scene. I sing upstage. That will leave you free 
to take as much stage as you like. Fine, Rolf. That will save time. Thanks. Oh, not at all. Glad to have met you, Miss Madsen. Mr. Watson. Nice to have met you, sir. Uh, See you on stage, Dorothy. Yes, Rolf. Rolf has a wonderful voice, and he's a good actor, too. You know, I think he'll be even better than Salavini. I've seen him before. Oh, yes, he's been in pictures and on the concert stage, and in opera, too, but he's he's never really had a good break. This might be it. Uh Uh-oh, that's it, Candy. I'm sorry, but I'll have to leave. Certainly, Dorothy. Say, why don't you stand in the wings? You can watch the rehearsal if you'd like. Oh, I'd love it. Come on, then. Follow me. This is all right, Candy. You can stay right here. Thanks, Dorothy. Glad to have met you, Mr. Watson. Also, as we used to say in the theater, go out there and kill him. <laughs> See you later. Where is Miss Warrenshaw? Ah, there you are. Herbert, where's Herbert? I saw him just a moment ago in the dressing room. But it's late. We've got to keep moving. Please, somebody find Herbert. Ah! <laughs> From way up in the heights of the stage, the opera house was pierced with a blood-curdling scream. That was no ordinary scream. It was the scream of death. You wait here, Rembrandt. Keep your eyes open. I'm going up to have a look. That scream wasn't in the score of Faust. I punched the button for the backstage elevator. It's a good thing they work fast and are speedy. Once inside, I pressed the button for the fourth gallery. I got out. This was the top of the opera house. The place was loaded with old sets, props, papier-mâché alligators, gold goblets. Then, over on the other side of the catwalk, I saw it. The body of a man all crumpled and distorted. I hit the catwalk and ran over. It was a hundred feet above the stage, and as I looked down, I could see a score of strained faces looking up through the darkness. I got on the other side and bent over the body. It was that of Rolf Herbert. Sandy, down here! I think your man just ducked down underneath the stage. Again, I did a Mel Patton. The elevator shot me down to the stage level, and there was Rembrandt, wild-eyed. He came down the elevator on the other side, Candy. Then he cut across the stage and down those steps. Come on, Rembrandt, follow me. I may need help. We ran down the steps and into the bowels of the stage. It looked like a nightmare, a myriad of cross beams of steel for the rising stages. We cleared those and went around by the chorus dressing room. There was only one out. I remembered it. A door over in the corner, very seldom used, but it was open. It led into a long tunnel with giant steam pipes running overhead and to the right. This went underground over to the veterans' building. Down by your feet, there's a stream of water flowing in a trough. The old Hayes Valley Creek. Our killer decidedly knew his opera house. As we entered the tunnel, I could see him up ahead running like crazy, so we took off after him. We made the other side, and it breaks into a big engine room. As we came into the opening, I looked around. The engineer was lying on the floor out like a light blood spurting from his scalp. Then I glanced up. There was another door. This led into the veterans' building itself and an avenue of escape onto Van Ness. I ran up. Then as we got into the long corridor, I saw Martinello breaking for the door. Stop! Stop, Martinello! Stop! You think I am a fool? I do if you don't stop. Try and get me. Okay, pal. You asked for it. It was the first time I had ever shot a man. It didn't feel good. But he lived. 
And later, the doctors of law gave him a little pill. The cyanide kind they dropped inside the gas chamber at San Quentin. Martinello paid his debt. Details? Sure, I'll fill him in now. Martinello loved to sing. Ray Mallard had told me that. For years, Carlo had been hanging around the opera house, hoping to step into a role. This season, a director had jokingly told him that if he ran out of baritones, he'd let Carlo take over. Carlo took him seriously. He lured Salavini down to his restaurant on a fake emergency call, costume and all, and did him in. But then he became frightened. That's when he called me. It was worth $2,000 to have me hush things up. But I don't operate like that. He had a hunch I was going to tip off Mallard. That's when he removed the body from the icebox and dumped him into the bay. Carlo had also been at the performance of Tales of Hoffman. That's when he learned that they'd wrestled up Rolf Herbert to sing in place of Salovini. By this time, Martinello was obsessed with the idea of singing in the opera house and wouldn't stop at anything. Right after Herbert's left Warren Chode's dressing room, he managed to get Herbert's into the elevator and up to the fourth gallery behind the stage. That scream was produced by a six-inch stiletto through Herbert's heart from the hands of Martinello. And that's when our chase began. I hope I never see that tunnel under the opera house again. That Mallard and his sentiments. It was he who gave me that gun just a week before, for my birthday. He said I needed protection. Well, darn it, I do. But I can't get Mallard to believe me. Instead, he just gives me guns. Listen again at this same time next week. For excitement and adventure, just dial... Candy Matson, Yukon 28209. Heard tonight were Harry Bechtel as Ralph Herbert, Jerry Walter as Carlo Martinello. Henry Left plays the role of Inspector Mallard and Jack Thomas as Rembrandt. Dorothy Warren Schold, star of the Standard Hour and the San Francisco Opera Company, was heard as herself. The program stars Natalie Masters as Candy and is written and produced by Monty Masters. With the exception of Miss Warren Schold, any resemblance to actual people in tonight's play is purely coincidental. Candy Matson comes to you from San Francisco. This is Dudley Manlove speaking. Stay tuned for Honest Herald, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Honest Herald, starring the same guy who starred in The Great Gildersleeve, Harold Perry. And tonight, it seems that Harold is about to lose his job at the radio station. The Harold Perry Show. And now... Harold Perry is Honest Harold the Homemaker. The town of Melrose Springs boasts one radio station and one newspaper, both owned by an old boaster named Mr. Carruthers. 
One of the things he doesn't boast about is a radio program on his station called Honest Harold the Homemaker. Why? Well, you'll find out. Listening to Honest Harold is a morning must in Melrose Springs, especially with the ladies. Shall we join them? Well, good morning, girls. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, woman likes to be told that her hair is fine as gold. She may know that you're her feller, but it's better when you tell her a woman likes to be told. Yes, indeed. Time to visit with your old teller, Honest Harold the Homemaker, bringing you news, views, and clues to good products. <laughs> by the way, girls, I have a very important announcement to make later in the program that concerns all of you, so please stand by. But first, our postman, Little Billy, the Mighty Might, and ex-jockey. Good morning, ladies. Al, pal, the outstanding letter today is from a lady in Charlieville. Charlieville, eh? Well, thank you, Billy. Thank you. Now, let's see. Uh, she says, uh, Last week, I started trading with a different grocer. When the boy arrived with the delivery, I asked him his name. He said, Truman. I said, is that your last name? He said, yes, ma'am. My first name is Harry. <laughs> Harry Truman, I said? That's a pretty well-known name. He said, it ought to be. I've been delivering groceries around here for four years. <laughs> And now, girls, let's get serious for a moment. The other day, a very high-pressure salesman from California sold me on the idea of introducing a new shampoo product on this program. Because it was new and not fully tried and tested, I asked all you ladies to accept a free sample and then report to me. Since then, I've tried it, and I've had numerous complaints from you girls, so I'm canceling the account right now. I'm mad. I may get into a little trouble about this. But I want you to know that Grandma Llewellyn's liquid lather shampoo will never be mentioned on this program as long as I have anything to say about it. Good morning, Station KHJP. What's that, madam? After listening to Honest Harold, you're pouring your Grandma Llewellyn's liquid lather shampoo down the drain? I'll tell him. No, I don't think it'll hurt the drain. Thanks for draining I mean for calling <laughs> Hello, Station Cage Oh, hello, Rosemary Little old Gloria was just about to call you Did you hear on his Terrell's program this morning? Well, he just went off the air And between you and me It's liable to be for the last time Boss Carruthers called his nephew, Mr. Peabody And Mr. Peabody is going to call Harold And, oh, oh here comes Harold out of the studio I'll call you back Well, good morning, Gloria did you hear my program this morning? Uh, yes, I did, Mr. Hamp. Mr. Peabody heard it, too. He was eating his breakfast at the time. Oh? He choked on his yogurt. He, cho <laughs> he did, eh? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know my policy, Gloria. I test all my products before I... By the way, did you test that new product for me over the weekend? Oh, yes. I spent the entire weekend sunbathing. Good. How did that freckle cream work out? Oh, just wonderful. Got a whole new crop of freckles. <laughs> Gloria, you're a fine guinea pig. Thank you, kind sir. <laughs> well, see you tomorrow, same time, same station. I hope so. Yeah. What? Mr. Peabody wants to see you in his office right away. Is he in there now? I'm afraid so. I can hear him tapping his fingers. I know what you mean. Well, that's radio. Give and take. Only so far, I haven't found many who'll take what I have to give. <laughs> Uh, well, hold the phone and keep your lines crossed. Don't I always? Good luck. Yeah, thanks. Uh, she's a nice kid. 
Well, here goes nothing. Maybe I was a little hasty about canceling that shampoo account and right on the air like that. I don't know, though. My listeners objected to the stuff. Besides, I tried it yesterday and took all the wave out of my hair. There. <laughs> no, sir, I did the right thing. And I'm going to walk right in and tell Mr. Peabody to... <clears throat> well, maybe I'd better peek through the keyhole at first. But a big shot Stanley Peabody so much as raises his voice to me, I'll... <laughs> for opening the door. <laughs> well, drop in. I almost did. <laughs> I'm glad you're in such a jovial mood. Yeah. It may help you digest what I've been discussing with my uncle, Mr. Carruthers. Sit down. Uh, Sit down. Thank you. New furniture, eh? Nice. <laughs> yes, look about you. This fine radio station. Thousands upon thousands of dollars were spent erecting these handsome studios. Cheap cement. <laughs> the finest electrical engineers designed our powerful transmitters. Mr. Carruthers even hired me at great expense to run the organization. Relative. <laughs> then you, you come along and nullify it all. Nullify? Now hold on, Peabody. You're the one that had better try to hold on to your job. You're on probation. Probation? Yes. You've gone about as far as you can making the decisions around here. It's got to stop. Stop. Do you hear? The only way I could hear it any better, chum, is if you were sitting in my lap. <laughs> this idea of canceling an advertiser without consulting the management of this station has got to stop. stop. I'm sorry, Stanley, but I must uphold my principles. Your principles? What about this radio station? What's going to hold us up? Not this cheap cement, brother. <laughs> You've done a lot of unconventional things in your time, but what possible justification did you have to cancel that shampoo account? Well, my listeners complained about it. And just what great fault did your listeners find with the shampoo? Well, as one little woman put it, there's too much sham and not enough poo. <laughs> well, if the product's no good, why did you accept it in the first place? Well, we wouldn't have accepted it. Honest Harold, you've made Mr. Carruthers very angry. You've made me very angry, too. You ruined you. my breakfast this morning. I'm sorry you choked on your yogurt. I mean... <laughs> Please! Now listen to me. Harold Hemp, if you must crusade, why don't you go after something worthwhile? Such as lowering taxes. Are taxes too high? <laughs> <laughs> or try to do something to better Melrose Springs. Huh? I'll give you an example. Mrs. Carruthers, my aunt, who you know is the political leader among the women of this town, is planning to run me for mayor. Uh, now, why don't you convince your listeners that I should be their next mayor? I thought you wanted me to do something to better Melrose Springs. <laughs> Get out. And remember, you've got one more chance. But stay Get out before I do something that'll put me in True Detective magazine. Guess I'd better go. That's murder. <laughs> True Detective Magazine. That Peabody. I'd like to condense his head for Reader's Digest. <laughs> Only they wouldn't buy it. What a fine mayor he'll make. Why didn't I fight back? I don't have to take that sort of talk from anybody. My 1936 Essex is almost paid for. <laughs> this is a free country. Because I don't want to be so free, I don't have a job. I've got responsibilities. There's Mother, Little Billy... Gotta keep little Billy with me or you'll drift back to the racetracks. Hey there, crooner. Well, hello, Doc. <laughs> Talking to yourself, aren't you? 
And that's better than talking to some people I know. I always did prefer animals to people. <laughs> yeah, I know, Doc. The fact is, that's why I became a veterinarian instead of an M.D. Animals are more considerate. Yeah. I never did have a horse call me in the middle of the night unless it was serious. <laughs> yeah, you're wonderful, Doc. Can I drop you any place? Well, I'm heading home. Fine, hop in. <laughs> I uh, just came downtown to get some dog biscuits. Have one? <laughs> Better take two. They're small. <laughs> no, thank you. Cram full of vitamins. Mm-hmm. They don't crackle or pop, but they got plenty of snap. <laughs> Doc, don't tell me you eat those things. No, I just give them to my dogs. Only things that'll keep them from barking during your radio program. <laughs> I'd like to feed some of those dog biscuits to Stanley Peabody. He looks like an air <laughs> You and Stanley don't get along too well, do you? Well, not many fellas do when they're in love with the same girl. I guess not. If Stanley could get me out of the way, he'd probably marry Evelina. Can't understand what you two see in that niece of mine. All she is is young and pretty. <laughs> yeah, she's beautiful. Well, all us Yancey's are. <laughs> she's domineering, though. Why, she even tells old man Carruthers how to run his newspaper. <laughs> if I had a secretary like that, I'd... I'd marry her if she'd have me. Well, she's taking care of me, the twins, and all the stray dogs and cats I'm treating. I don't know. She's got room for one more. What? What? (laughs) Besides, my nephew from Cleveland's planning to visit us. Oh. Quite a fellow, that boy. Makes $45 a week when he's not striking. (laughs) Well, this is a fine time for me to be thinking about getting married, Doc. I'm about to lose my job. What? Again? Yeah, serious this time. In fact, Mr. Carruthers had Stanley put me on probation. He says if I want a crusade, I've got to get behind some community project. Eh. Well, what are you slowing down for? Is this spring wagon out of gas? Oh, no, no. This is the school zone, Doc. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Say, if you want a good community project, son, how about getting the town to build a livery stable? A livery stable? There aren't any horses in this town. Well, that might bring them back. <laughs> some of these cars off the streets. Devil's plaything. Now, Doc, you're just an old fuddy-duddy. Oh, say, watch out for that little kid. What? Oop, I'll drive around him. Hang on, Doc. Oh. <laughs> Made it. <laughs> Where are we? Up on the curb. And I suspect only three tires left. <laughs> Certainly close. Look at that scallywag run for the schoolhouse. I'll bet he's scared. He's scared? <laughs> there ought to be a policeman on this corner. Say, Doc, I'm getting an idea. Let me out. I'm getting a horse. <laughs> well, it took me all day to contact the school principals, but they're all behind me. I just can't wait to tell Evelina about this. I hope the dear little twin sisters have gone to bed. Old Doc Yak Yak, too. Dear old Doc. I wonder if the old boy sleeps standing up like a horse. (laughs) (coughs) Oh, come in, Harold. Well, thank you, Evie. (laughs) Lovely dress. Thank you. I was hoping you'd drop over. I've been worried. I understand you had some trouble at the radio station. Yeah, I did. But today I hit on a plan that'll make Mr. Carruthers approve of me. 
Well, take it from his secretary, Harold. It'll have to be quite an idea. Oh, this is. I'm going to start a radio campaign to put a policeman in every corner of every schoolhouse so that our children can cross our streets. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, Harold. Is Mr. Carruthers enthused? Well, I haven't spoken to Mr. Carruthers yet. Got a call in for Stanley to call me here. Oh. Hey, what's that you're doing? Oh, I'm proofreading a series of articles that Mr. Carruthers wrote for a Sunday editorial. It's on one of his pet subjects, lip reading. Lip reading? He's a bit deaf, you know. Deaf, too? (laughs) Well, I've discovered that you can learn a lot about people by watching their lips. Well, a fella doesn't like to just watch some lips. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Harold. You know, I've been practicing lip reading here in front of the mirror. Mirror? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be more fun practicing with something not quite so cold? (laughs) A nice, live, chubby assistant? I'm available (laughs) All right Now you watch how my lips form the words Oh, brother, I'm watching (laughs) Now after me, make the lips form a simple word like rhubarb Rhubarb Well, this is silly (laughs) (laughs) No, it isn't It isn't? Uh. Well, it may have some merit Let's see Now it's my turn Now you form a word with me, huh? Ready? Say prunes. All right. Prunes. Carol, that wasn't fair. No, but it was mighty tasty. (laughs) Evie. Yes? It's strange that lip reading should make me think of marriage, but now that I'm sure of my job again... Oh, that must be Stanley now. Yeah, he timed it well. (laughs) I'll get it. Hello? Is that you, Hip? Did you call me? Yes, I did, Stanley. I've taken your advice. Oh, really? Your suggestion about crusading to better Melrose Springs? I want you to tell Mr. Carruthers about it. Oh, I certainly will. You mean about deciding to back me for mayor? Oh, no, no. My idea is to have a policeman on every corner at every school. What? A policeman on every corner? Hip, do you realize that there are four schools in this town and that there are four coffers at each school? That's 16 additional policemen. Eight, twelve, sixteen. He's right. <laughs> sixteen, policemen. Do you know what that means? It means safety for our school children. It means higher taxes. And do you know who pays most of the taxes in this town? Well, Mr. Carruthers, of course. Exactly. And what, may I ask, is wrong with the suggestion I gave you? You mean to back you for mayor? Certainly. Well, Stanley, as one of my lady listeners so aptly put it, too much sham and not enough poo. <laughs> that did it. To coin a phrase, my dear boy... You've reached the end of your rope, Hemp. Hey, that's kind of clever. What? You're fired. Fired? But Stanley. I guess he didn't like my idea. Are you finished, Harold? Yeah, I sure am. Well, Mother always said, it's important to have an open mind, but I've got a hole in my head. We'll return for the second act of our story, Honest Herald, in just a moment. But first, be listening later tonight when Horace Height presents the cream of the talent he's found in his journeys around and about America. The Horace Height Original Youth Opportunity Program is heard every Sunday on most of these same CBS stations. And now, back to the Harold Perry Show. 
We're back in Honest Harold's hometown, Melrose Springs. It's the next day, and we find ourselves at the radio station. Little Billy, the mighty mite, has just stepped out of the elevator with a very large bag of mail and is making his way to the reception desk. Hiya, beautiful. Well, here I am with the mail. Say, could I talk to you in playing a little post office? Billy, how can you make jokes at a time like this? Well, it is a little early, Gloria. No, I mean, hasn't Harold told you? Something I should know? Well, I guess he didn't want to worry you. But he isn't the homemaker here anymore. What? He's been replaced with an organ recital. Hey! I gotta see him! Where did he go? Home to mother, I guess. Oh, ho. Stop worrying. Everything happens for the best. Yes, Mother. By the way, it's nice having lunch at home like this again for change. (laughs) Don't you want a little dessert, Harold? I think I've had enough lunch, Mother. I'm trying to keep my weight down, you know. Oh, you're not too fat. Oh, yes, I am. Last time I took a train trip and got into an upper, it immediately became a lower. (laughs) Oh, you're just healthy looking. But you won't be if you don't stop worrying and eat more. Well, you can save my dessert for little Billy. There you go. Always thinking about other people. Now, take me, for instance. You? Yes. I hold you back. A nice boy like you should be married and have a home of his own. A man deserves those things when he's touching 40. I'm not touching 40, Mother. I'm beating the living daylights out of it. (laughs) Besides, I couldn't do without you. Well, I'm off. Where? You haven't a program anymore. I found a program, Mother. I'm going down to the Hoover School. If the city won't hire extra policemen, I'll direct traffic there. Oh, Oh, that sounds wonderful, my boy. Oh, but here, if you're going to school, I'd better wrap up your dessert. Uh, But, Mother... Now, Harold, remember how hungry you always got when you went to school? Here's your pie. Pie? Yes, lemon chiffon. But mother, remember my diet. Lemon is on your diet. Yeah, uh-huh, there. Theirs is not to make reply. Theirs is not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. I guess I'll take the piece of pie. <laughs> Oh, dear, what am I going to do with this piece of pie? Can't hold it in my hand while I'm directing traffic. Oh, well, I'll eat it. Mmm, wonderful. Good crust. Mm, dear old mother. She really thinks I ought to get married. Uh, married to Evie. That'd be wonderful. Evelina, won't you pay a little mind to that moon? Evelina, can't you hear that little old Bob Link's tune? Evelina, she's so pretty. She can't cook as well as Mother, but that's good. I can stay on my diet. What about Mother and little Billy? Maybe Billy could be our babysitter. Ah, babies. I don't want a large family Five would be enough (laughs) Oh, but here I am dreaming again Haven't even got a job Probably have to leave Melrose Springs Maybe I could get a job in television I could be a test pattern (laughs) 
Evie would probably marry Stanley Peabody then. Well, he's going to be mayor. She'd like that. Mrs. Mayor Peabody, oh, brother. Hey, help! Oh, little Billy. I want to see him now. I'll walk fast and lose that little jockey. Hey, where are you off and running? Oh, hello, little Billy. What's this I hear about you being scratched? Yeah, scratched? <laughs> yeah, declare it, try it. Billy, must you always use that racetrack lingo? You've got everybody in this town doing it. Sure, I'm getting to be a favorite here. There you go again. Hey, do you want me to take care of this Peabody? Huh? Why, I'll put a burr under his saddle and I'll ride him into the rail. Now, Billy, you promised me when you came to live with us here in Melrose Springs that you wouldn't get in any trouble. But you've got a lot of good races left in you. I ain't letting them send you to the glue factory. <laughs> now, Billy. Come on. We'll fight Carruthers and Peabody. You and me. We'll pool our forces. Excuse me, Billy, but that's no pool. That's a bird bath. <laughs> Besides, Billy, I don't want to fight anybody. They did turn down my school plan, but I still think I was right. So I'm going to the Hoover School myself. You mean you're going to direct traffic? Sure. Somebody's got to help those children across the street. Well, Peabody may think he's running you out of the money, but his nose ain't crossed the wire yet. Huh? See you later. Uh, Billy, what are you up to? M- me nothing. Excuse me. i got to see a horse doctor about a stubborn mule. <laughs> horse doctor about a mule? Well, that sounds logical. <laughs> Dr. Yancey speaking, it's your nickel star talking. <laughs> Doc, this is Billy. I gotta see you right away. I'm at Sixth and Hoover. But I'm in consultation with the patient. A patient? Yeah, I'm clipping a sheep. <laughs> that sheep can wait The one I want to see you about has been clipped That's good hmm. Well, okay, I'll be there in a minute Things are never the same again After you have a phone put in Meh <laughs> I'll share you later <laughs> Infants, scoot across while I have the car stop. Don't stand there looking at me. Come on, scoot. Yeah, that's it. Hello, Joey. How's your mommy? <laughs> All right, you and that hot rod, and proceed with caution. <laughs> Pull in that pipe, brother. <laughs> All right, children, let's cross right away, and let's look where we're going now, huh? That's it, that's it. All right, mister, you're next, you're next. <laughs> Well, so are you, I think. <laughs> I wonder what he said. I wish I did know something about lip reading. <laughs> Thank you for waiting for the children, ma'am. I wonder if she's got a license. <laughs> well, I kind of like this kind of work. Maybe I missed my calling. I guess I'm just a frustrated policeman. <laughs> Getting kind of quiet, though. Imagine all the classes have been dismissed. Seems to be the last of the kiddies. Can I cross now, Constable? <laughs> well, hello, Doc. How are you getting along with your new job? Well, it's a bigger job than I thought it was going to be. I think I need a whistle. Well, if you wait until that new third grade teacher walks by, I'll whistle for you. <laughs> <laughs> Doc, remember your age. <laughs> I never have to. Everybody else does. <laughs> anyway, the children have all gone home. I think I'll go, too. Oh, uh, now, uh, wait a minute, Harold. I just got here. Uh, Why don't you stick around for a while? Show me your stuff. 
Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm all finished here. Well, uh, there, there may be another kid or two around playing behind the schoolhouse. I don't think so, Doc. Well, besides, isn't this about the time that Mrs. Carruthers drives Stanley Peabody by here on the way home? Well, yes, it is nearly four o'clock, and they do it every day. Well, if I was you, I'd stick around and let Stanley see you donating your services to the town like this. Huh? Yeah, that'll make him mighty ashamed of himself. Well, I doubt that, Doc. Anyway, let's let bygones be bygones. Now, you stick to that attitude, and it won't be long. Say, who's that upstart in that station wagon? Looks like Mrs. Carruthers' car. Yeah, she's traveling pretty fast. Yeah, too fast. Say, look at that child in that cowboy suit. Where did he come from? Say, he's going to run across the street. He can't see on account of that big hat he's wearing. Little boy, don't run out there on the street. Oh, he stumbled and fell. Stop, stop that car. No, don't jump in front of that car. Stop. Brother, that was close. Is that you, Mr. Hemp? Yes, Mrs. Carruthers. Is the child all right? Yeah, he's okay. Look at him streak through those bushes. What are you doing standing out there in the middle of the street, Hemp? What does it look like, Stanley? I've been directing traffic. Yeah, somebody's got to do it. Oh, Mr. Hemp, how can I ever thank you? You've kept me from hitting that youngster. Yeah, well, that's why I was here. This is a dangerous spot. There should be policemen on these corners to act as crossing guards. You're so right, Mrs. Carruthers. Something should be done immediately. Mr. Hemp! Why don't you campaign for it on your wonderful radio program? Well, I don't have a radio program anymore. What? Stanley fired me. What's this, Stanley? <laughs> now, Andy, I just take orders from Mr. Carruthers. Well, Mr. Carruthers takes orders from me. <laughs> I'll bet he does it that. <laughs> Mr. Hemp, you've been rehired. I have? Yes. But it may not be for long. Well, that's... It won't? <laughs> for a long time now, we've needed an honest man in Melrose Springs. One who is interested in our city and our children. When the women voters of Melrose Springs meet tomorrow, I'm going to submit your name for mayor. Me? Mayor? Sinatra here is your boy, ma'am. <laughs> Andy, I thought you were going to support me. Mm. We support you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's a quarter. <laughs> Doc... But, Mrs. Carruthers, do you think I'm really qualified? I don't think I want to be mayor. Now, don't argue with me, young man. You're as good as elected. Stanley, close your mouth and let's go home. <laughs> goodbye, honest Harold. Hey, goodbye, Mrs. Carruthers. Well, isn't she so sweet? <laughs> yeah, well, that turned out slick, didn't it? Doc, it couldn't have been planned better. Yep. Uh, <laughs> What'd you say? You can tell little Billy to come out from behind those bushes now. <laughs> Shucks. Gosh, how, well, how did you know I was the kid? Yeah, we thought that little hop-along Cassidy suit was a perfect disguise. Well, I've been thinking. Nobody but a jockey could take a fall like that, roll over, and come up on his feet running. <laughs> I ought to be real upset with both of you. That wasn't honest, fellas. No, that was politics. Yeah. <laughs> and with us behind you, you'll be mayor before you know it. Mayor, eh? Well, good night, voters. <laughs> You've just heard the Harold Perry Show, Honest Harold. The supporting players included Jerry Marin, Ken Peters, Dora Singleton, Catherine Card, and Lois Corbett. And featured Gloria Holiday as Gloria and Joseph Kearns as old Doc Yak Yak. Norman MacDonald directed, and the music was composed and conducted by Jack Meekin. 
William Dance contributed additional dialogue to Mr. Perry's original script. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Big Show, starring Jack Carson and Jimmy Durante. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.